Tonight's reading is uh, Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 26. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones, the man inquired. Jesus replied, Do not murder. Do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honour your father and mother, and love your neighbour as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. It's great to see you all. Um, What an amazing bit of scripture. Uh, I just love these stories, you know, when people meet Jesus and and what happens when they meet him. And somebody said once, you know, it's so hard to teach theology to people who are addicted to good. And I was thinking about that and I thought, so right, you know. Because being good is something that we've been taught from little kids onwards, you know, especially we're teaching our children to be good all the time, and yet I'm wondering whether that's really the core of things. Probably not, because Jesus is challenging this man and saying, you know, why do you ask me about what is good? And Luke picks it out even more, because this guy is saying to Jesus, good teacher, and he says, why do you call me good? There's only one person who's good, and that's God. So why are we so obsessed with being good? Why are we so addicted to this? And I reckon there's something to do with the fact that, you know, back in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were told not to pick from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they kind of thought it'd be good to pick from that. And since that time, our kind of understanding of what is good and what is evil has been tainted. We're not necessarily reflecting the opinion of God in what is good and what is evil, and we are struggling with that. We can see that in all sorts of places, you know, our opinions about abortion or about the way we produce things and use people in order to gain whatever we need. You know, we think things are working out fairly good. We are living in a good country. We are saying this is good, this is bad. And sometimes I wonder the way that God looks at things and whether that's really his opinion. And you know God's glory, what that really means is God's opinion, God's character to be shown and to be revealed. And if we are people who are revealing God's glory in this world, then we must get rid of this addiction of good, and we must understand that we are loved, that we are created, and that we are not just people who are trying to behave nicely. And I think as this man is coming to Jesus, Luke picks out that he's a teacher of the law. And so Jesus actually comes to him and relates to him just on that level. 
And I find this ever so lovely how Jesus meets us just where we are. Someone came to Jesus with this question, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And there we have it. Right at the first sentence, we know what it's all about. We're incredibly thirsty to have life. And why is that? Because we're confronted with death all the time. We're confronted with this struggle that life seems to slip out of our hands, and that's why we are starting to grasp for life rather than receiving it. But when God created this world, when he created us, he created us with this incredible sense of being loved children of God, and see where this scripture is placed in Matthew, straight after Jesus talking to children and saying, you know, let them come to me. They're the blessed ones because they haven't forgotten how to trust. If you want to become anyone who understands the kingdom of God, then please become one of these little ones who are trusting and who are not obsessed with good or bad. And so, you see the struggle to receive life. When I'm thinking of my heartbeat and what I want to talk about, then it's this thing about following Jesus, following the one who is life, following the person who showed us by hanging on a cross that we don't have to lash out at our enemies in order to gain life, that we don't have, grab, have to grab life wherever we can in order to get it. And I find Jesus fascinating, the way he deals with us bit by bit and helping us to become healthy again. Why ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is God. And with that one sentence, he almost invites this young man to understand, now, if we continue this conversation, how are we going to continue it? Are you just seeing me as a good teacher? Or are you realizing who is standing in front of you, the Son of God, the living one? Who do you see in me? Hebrew picks it up very clearly in Hebrew chapter 2. Verse 14, the writer says, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. I talked a little bit about the fear of dying. I think it stems from the fact that we haven't quite understood that we don't need to scream in order to be fed. Haven't quite lost that sense, you know, when you were born. Do you remember that point <laughs> when you started screaming for milk, right, quite early on? But you know what? You don't have to scream anymore because once you realize that you have someone looking after you, you stop screaming. And once you realize that there's somebody who's concerned with you and who even likes you and not just loves you, well, then life gets really good. And that's the good news in the scripture. God likes us, all of us. The good, the bad, the ugly, that pretty much sums up all of us <laughs> at different times, you know, the way we feel. It doesn't really matter. So there comes Jesus' answer. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. So do as you know what to do. Which ones, the man asks. 
And Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and your mother, love your neighbor as yourself. All of those you know, commandments that we possibly could even manage to hang on to and cling on to by our own strength. I don't have to murder someone. I don't have to do adultery. I don't have to steal from my friends. I don't really have to do that. If I'm really, really good, I can actually do that. But which commandment hasn't he mentioned? Which one? The first one? The first one. He hasn't gone all through all ten. But to me, it's very obvious that the first one is missing. And the first one being reminding the people of Israel, I am the Lord your God. I have brought you out of slavery, out of Egypt, and led you out of captivity. You shall have or you must not have any God besides me. You see how he's leading this lawyer to the first commandment, to the law that is so central to everything. But before he does, the guy says, I've obeyed all of these commandments. The young man replied, what else must I do? And Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. He's not just quoting the first commandment, he's making it very practical for this young man. He's showing him where his security lies. And he's telling him how to get rid of his security and learn to trust him in new ways. In 2012, when uh, my wife and our six children, three of the crew are here tonight, but uh, you know, my wife and the other three younger ones are at home. But, you know, we were in Frankfurt leading a church. We had a great team, lovely friends. We were really, really settled. I even had a company car, just imagine, you know. I, I had, um, I mean, all sorts of lovely things. And both of us had the sense that God was saying, will you come and learn to trust me in new ways? And that call meant for us that we went to our congregation and said, in a year's time, we would like to move on. We feel that we ought to learn more about this faith and trust in God. And uh, they gave us a great send-off, and they said, you can, we, we lend you our minibus, the church bus, and you can use it, because we felt like, take this time out, six months traveling Europe, just with a couple of tents and eight bags, same size, apart from my wife's, that was a little bit bigger. <laughs> And, uh, but there was the family blanket in it and a few other things. <laughs> that was a very important thing. But anyway, so we packed this van, packed everybody in, and we lived six months on the road. And we packed all our furniture into a garage. We didn't have a home anymore. We didn't have our jobs anymore. We didn't know uh, what was going to happen after that and where we would land exactly. We were planning to come to England, but, you know, no jobs, no house, no schooling, nothing. And we felt... You know, we don't even need to have a route or a plan of where to travel. We just want to learn to listen to God on the, on the road and learn to live as a family who's trusting God in new ways. And that's what it meant for us, to learn to let go of these things like life insurance and personal liability insurance and all the other good things that we've come to accustomed and 
were quite comfortable and, and you know, quite well and having all these things. So that's what it meant for us, letting go of the familiar. What does it mean for you? I don't have the answer to that. Interesting how Jesus is challenging the rich man with all his possessions. And then he goes on to say, I'm not going to steal it from you. I'm not going to take it away and leave you empty. I want to give you a treasure from heaven. I want to give you something even better. And Paul writes about it in 2 Corinthians, in the fourth chapter, um, 6 to 7. Maybe I can read that. This morning I couldn't read it because I think we had less time. Is that right? (laughs) I had to pray for tailwind in order to make up lost time. Uh, But here Paul writes, and this is really precious if you listen to this. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made his light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. Wouldn't it be nice if that would become clear to everyone? That the great power that's inside of us, the securities, the things that we bank on, the things that we hold on to, are only God himself, and that people can trust him, are invited into that relationship. This is all about life versus our definitions of good. You see, there's always faith and fear. Fear and faith. Faith says there's light at the end of the tunnel. Fear says the light at the end of the tunnel might be a train. See the difference? There's a fear and there's a faith position. And I think what this man is learning at this moment is, well, do I want to live by trusting God or do I want to still continue in my fear position, thinking about what is coming towards me here? So there's a treasure, and that's what Jesus is in us. And this treasure is a freedom from the deadly cycles of treading others down in order to get life. Freedom from fear of loss and insecurity. Wouldn't it be great if we could be so secure in Jesus Christ that it would just shine and radiate out of us that we don't even get offended anymore when people tread on our toes? What change would that make in our workplace if somebody could, you know, run right over us and we wouldn't even get offended and they wonder why on earth and what is happening and we can say, well, it's Christ in me. Why should I get offended? Christ in me is offended. So I do not need to worry. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad for he had many possessions. He had lots to trust into. Do you remember when the Israelites were on the way in the desert and every day they were They had a bit of a a jar of clay, and they could collect the manna, this kind of stuff that they didn't know what it was, so they called it, what is it, manna. And they put it, and they ate it, and some tried to keep it in jars of clay, but it was gone off the next day. And God was teaching his people, let go of your securities, learn to trust me. And then they had to stop storing it, 
and had to learn to wait for God for every day to be their security. And that's all right, that is good and true. But what if your emotions don't catch up with all of this stuff? We had several occasions on our journey where we were struggling. Our tent was flooded, you know, uh, there was lightning all around us. We were praying like mad that it wouldn't hit us, you know. The, our tent was destroyed, and the next day we didn't know where to live. And there were all sorts of situations. My son cut his hand, and a few days later it was full of pus, and, and you know, it was... I mean, all sorts of situations where we didn't know what to do. And every time, God made a way. When we came to England, and we arrived at in Chertsey on some campsite, aeroplanes landing you know, just this much over our tent, you know, Heathrow Airport, and what a change from beaches in France, Europe, and what, wherever you go, you know. Anyway, so there we were in our tent, no idea where to go. We need a house, we need an address, we need to find a school, we need to find work, we need to... And one thing after the other, God just made way for us. And it wasn't easy. For a year I didn't have work. And I didn't know what it was like to be out of work and not to know what you're there for. And to kind of every day get up and looking for things and every few weeks going to the work center here around the corner, the job center, and being bussed through to the first floor and feeling like a criminal for you know, kind of sitting there and saying, yeah, I'm on benefits, you know, even though there were German benefits administered through the English system, how great in this world. Anyway, so there we were, struggling, fighting, but trusting every day and learning to trust him more. Martin Luther said, seek yourself only in Christ and not in yourself, and you will find yourself in him eternally. So the young man went away. He was sad. He was upset, probably. And then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I'll say it again. It is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. What an amazing picture. Have you ever tried to stuff a camel through the eye of a needle? It's impossible. And what Jesus is saying here is he's again you know, challenging the categories of good and bad, of blessed and not so blessed, of great and not so great. You see, people in the New Testament or in the Old Testament, they always thought the rich people are the blessed ones. God is clearly with them. But here Jesus is saying, you know, the rich guy, it's so hard for them to get into the kingdom of God. And so the Disciples are really astonished, and they're saying, then who in the world can be saved if even the blessed ones, even the rich ones can't be saved? And Jesus makes it clear and says, well, it's impossible with man, but not with God. With God, everything is possible. So again, he's throwing us completely to trust into Jesus for everything, for our salvation, for our grace, for the way we have to behave and even want to be good. And how interesting it would be when we would start to ask God again what was the right thing to do, what was the good thing to do, what would please Him, what would reveal His opinion and His glory in this world. 